All right. We are back. Mike and Paul here at Political Theory and um, other stuff doing The Racial Contract by Charles W. Mills. We are on page 101. It's the bottom of it. We're in the middle of a section. Don't ask me what the section is because I don't fucking know. Do you have any idea what the section's called, Paul? Oh, yeah. Okay. So it's uh, chapter three. Oh, this shit. I just called... babbled this whole thing on mute. That's a little, <laughs> it's a little inside edition for you listeners. Um, okay. Continue. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, no, it's all good. It's uh, chapter three, and it's the first section. Uh, the racial contract historically tracks the actual moral slash political consciousness of most white moral agents. Uh, nice. And like I said, bottom of 101. Paul, you want to take your way? Yeah, just to derail a little bit um, for everybody that's not me that didn't know this. What I just did was when Mike asked that question, told myself into the microphone, oh, good, I can be useful for this is what I said um, and then read the title, but was on mute the whole time. Um, so, in That's fact, I, I was not useful. Um, but now I can try to be useful again and, and start this reading. For these and many other horrors too numerous to list, the ideal Kantian social contract norm of the infinite value of all human life thus has to be rewritten to reflect the actual racial contract norm of the far greater value of white life and the corresponding crystallization of feelings of vastly differential outrage over white and non-white death, white and non-white suffering. If looking back, or sometimes just looking across, one wants to ask, but how could they? The answer is that it is easy once a certain social ontology has been created. This is being recorded kind of around some capital riot stuff that happened in, um, you know, within like the week. I think that's a great example. The outrage over a person who was shot clearly committing a crime um, while they were shot in a avenue where it would be expected that I'm not saying it's justified, but could be legitimately expected that there would be lethal force, i.e. storming the halls of Congress while it's in session, drew a lot of outrage from people who said it was silly that BLM had outrage. Uh, so this is uh, obviously something that it's just currently seems to be baked into American society, that white death and white suffering is the only thing that justifies public outrage for a large portion uh, of our population. Well, and I was uh, watching that second thoughts video on the Capitol shit, which that dude's so on point. Yeah, dear God, he he pulled a quote from like I think Reuters or some shit, where they were interviewing one of the uh, random women at the Capitol uh, that had heard that the the woman had been shot. She she literally says something to the effect of, "That's not supposed to be happening. They're not supposed to be shooting at patriots. They're supposed to be shooting at BLM." Yeah, and and she probably doesn't even realize what she's saying, but it's it, when when people talk about that the police can't be reformed and they need to be abolished, that is right there. Why? You yeah. Know? Oh, for, and I'm making some assumptions, but I have seen that video as well. I promise you, that lady would never admit to being racist, would never right. acknowledge, yes. and possibly not even know that any of this is racist, and would be, I would assume extremely angry at the concept of systemic racism um and uh, it's just so frustrating that people can actively participate in it and not understand the explanation when it's presented to them or refuse to i suppose um has uh 
been one of the things that has really stood out to me with this event. Obviously, the whole event was a crapshoot, but with what we've been reading lately, and and so that's been on my mind. It was just so, it was like systemic racism live and in action, you know, just seeing the different treatments for, I mean, there was videos of cops literally helping these people to back down the steps, like taking selfies with them and shit. And there's the same videos from decades, from decades ago to now, uh, of people being tackled and arrested for trying to enter the Capitol before things like protecting indigenous lands, you know, fucking civil rights movements and shit. Um, so to see that difference for people fighting for just causes and things that will, I think, with any logical inspection, make society a better place, uh, as opposed to a group of assholes where, that were literally there throwing a temper tantrum about something that's gone through 60 courts, fucking has been investigated by every journalistic entity in america has been investigated by every legal uh you know entity that could possibly investigate it you know whatever it just shocked me how clear that was put on display you could say that um it was a clear display of the racial contract yes you know good yes thank you for that so uh bewilderment and puzzlement show that one is taking for granted the morality of the literal social social contract as a norm once one begins from the racial contract the mystery evaporates the racial contract thus makes white moral psychology transparent one is not continually being surprised when one examines the historical record because this is psychology the contract prescribes the theory of the racial contract is not cynical because cynicism really implies theoretical breakdown, a despairing throwing up of the hands and renunciation of the project of understanding the world and the human evil for a mystified yearning for a prelapsarian man. The racial contract is simply realist, <clears throat> willing to look at the facts without flinching to explain that if you start with this, then you will end up with that. Not a moral judgment, not a just a reality check. Uh, that's a descriptive claim rather than a normative claim. Good call. Uh, similarly, the racial contract makes the Jewish Holocaust, misleadingly designated as the Holocaust, comprehensible. Thank you for that. As an Armenian. Thank you. No, <laughs> uh, comprehensible, distancing itself theoretically, both from positions that would render it cognitively opaque, inexplicably sugeneries. Um, I have... Sorry, I got nothing. Well, you on looked that. that that one up. Yeah, uh, I know we've uh, looked it up before, but I just can't remember it. Yeah, it's John. A big old blank for me. Um, unique. Um, I will uniquely not remember that again. I'm sure. So uh, inexplicably, sue generis, and from positions that would downplay the racial dimension and assimilate it to the undifferentiated terrorism of German fascism. From the clouded perspective of the third world, the question in Arno Meyer's title, Why Did the Heavens Not Darken, betrays a climactic Eurocentrism, which fails to recognize that the blue skies were only smiling on Europe. The influential view he cites, not his own, is typical. Prima facie, the catastrophe which befell the Jews during the Second World War was unique in its own time and unprecedented in history. There are strong reasons to believe that the victimization of the Jews was so enormous and atrocious as to be completely outside the bounds of all other human experience. If that is the case, what the Jews were subjected to will forever defy historical reconstruction and interpretation, let alone comprehension. But this represents an astonishing white amnesia about the actual historical record. 
Amen. Uh, likewise, the despairing question of how there can be poetry after Auschwitz evokes the puzzled non-white reply of how there could have been poetry before Auschwitz and after the killing fields in America, Africa, Asia. The standpoint of Native America, Black Africa, colonial Asia has always been aware that European civilization rests on extra-European barbarism, so that the Jewish, hol Jewish Holocaust, the Judeocide, Meyer, is by no means a bolt from the blue, an unfathomable anomaly in the development of the West, but unique only in that it represents use of the racial contract against Europeans. I say this in no way to diminish its horror, of course, but rather to deny its singularity, to establish its conceptual identity with other policies carried out by Europe and non-Europe for hundreds of years, but using methods less efficient than those made possible by advanced mid-20th century uh, industrial society. Uh, in the twilight world of the Cold War, the term blowback was used in American spy jargon to refer to unexpected and negative effects at home that result from covert operations overseas, particularly from what were called black operations, uh, black in quotes, uh, of assassination and government overthrow. A case can be made for seeing the blowback from the overseas, uh, in parentheses and quotes, white operations of European conquest, settlement, slavery, and colonialism, has consolidating in the modern European mind a racialized ethic that, in combination with traditional anti-Semitism, eventually boomeranged, returned to Europe itself to facilitate the Jewish Holocaust. Forty years ago, in his classic polemic Discourse on Colonialism, uh, Aim Césaire, uh, sorry man, uh, pointed out the implicit I just feel, I always feel so disappointed in myself when I uh, don't pronounce names. And I don't know why. It's like a thing I'm making it up. I have never been personally offended when somebody mispronounced my name. Uh, but I just imagine all these people with like these great works who have put the time that somebody like me has not read. Uh, and not only have I not read their work, I'm just sitting here reading about them and just butchering their fucking names. And uh, it's rough on me mentally. I don't know why. Uh, Aimee Césaire, Jesus, I can't even say it the same way twice, uh, pointed out the implicit double standard and European outrage at Nazism. It is Nazism, yes, but before Europeans were its victims, they were its accomplices, that they tolerated that Nazism before it was inflicted on them, that they absolved it, shut their eyes to it, legitimized it, because, until then, it had been applied only to non-European peoples. Hitler's crime is the fact that he applied to Europe colonialist procedures, which until then had been reserved exclusively for the Arabs of Algeria, the Coolies of India, and the Blacks of Africa. The racial contract continues with a truly grisly irony to manifest itself even in the condemnation of the consequences of the racial contract, since the racial mass murder of Europeans is placed on a different moral plane than the racial mass murder of non-Europeans. Similarly, Kiernan argues that King Leopold's Congo cast before it the shadow that was to turn into Hitler's empire inside Europe. Attitudes acquired during the subjugation of the other continents now reproduce themselves at home. So in this explanatory framework, unlike the subsumption of the death camps under a defaced fascism, deraced fascism, excuse me, the racial dimension and the establishment of Jewish non-white subpersonhood are explanatorily crucial. If, as earlier argued, the Jews were by this time basically off-white 
rather than non-white, assimilated into the population of persons, the Nazis could be said to be in local violation of the global racial contract by excluding from the club of whiteness groups already grudgingly admitted. By doing to Europeans, even borderline ones, what, by then, was only supposed to be done to non-Europeans. That is... That's good. Yeah. That's good. It's on point. It's on point. Really good, and I assume something both of us have thought about, but something that is certainly not hammered, obviously, because of its you know defiance to the racial contract. But uh, I feel like it's something that is so easy to verify, so easy to find historical records on, and something that if I was to bring up in a, a friendly debate, that person would be like, you know, it would just, for some reason, shut it down immediately or just not take in the relevance, possibly. Yep, absolutely. Post-war writings on this subject by Europeans, both in Europe and in North America, have generally sought to block these conceptual connections, representing Nazi policy as more deviant than it actually was. For example, in the Historic Erstreit, the German debate over the uniqueness of the Jewish Holocaust, the dark historical record of European imperialism has been forgotten. Robert Harris's chilling 1992 novel, Fatherland, a classic in the alternative world science fiction genre, depicts a future in which the Nazis have won World War II and have eradicated from the record their killings of the Jews, so that only scattered evidence survives. Is that book really a classic? Probably in that genre. Okay. Know. Okay, that's good. But in certain respects, we live in an actual, non-alternative world where the victors of racial killing really did win and have reconstructed and falsified the record accordingly. Holocaust denial and Holocaust apologia thus precede the... I don't think I say that word well, but... Uh, thus, no, you did. Did you I? Did. Okay. Apologia. Yep. Apologia. Okay. Yep. Uh, thus long precede the post-1945 period, going back all the way to the original response to the revelations of Las Casas' devastation of the Indies in 1542. Yet, with few exceptions, only recently has revisionist white historiography belatedly begun to catch up with this non-white conceptualization. Hence, the title of David Stannard's book, On the Columbian Conquest, American Holocaust, the related title of an anthology cited by Noam Chomsky in his Year 501, put out in Germany in anticipation of the quincentenary uh, Das Fufhundert Jahre Reich, 500 Year Reich. Uh, and the Swedish writer uh, Sven Lindqvist's, there's a, a pretty interesting cue in there. Um, I didn't know how to handle it. Uh, recently translated Exterminate All the Brutes, which explicitly links the famous injunction of Konrad Kurtz to Nazi practice. Auschwitz was the modern industrial application of a policy of extermination on which European world domination had long since rested. And when what had been done in the heart of darkness was repeated in the heart of Europe, no one recognized it. No one wished to admit what everyone knew. It is not knowledge we lack. What is missing is the courage to understand what we know and draw conclusions. Damn. Like, this is a very well-written book, but these last few pages are just almost transcendent, I feel. Yeah, the dude, he just hits heavy yeah. the whole time. Like, when we first started it, the book, I was like, oh, dude, I would love to have him on um, to talk to him about stuff. Now, as we've read it, I've just... It's like I don't have... 
I haven't come up with any questions I feel right. like are worth having him on for, but his ability, I guess, his ability to write it's so impactful in such an impactful manner is just striking. And what I would love to do, uh, not obviously for our next book, but at some point, I would love to read another work of his to yeah. see if he, um, if it's like a consistent thing. Uh, not that it needs to be, right? Right. Yeah, like he can just be have this amazing book, and that's more amazing books than most people, including myself. But uh, it would just be interesting if, if he, uh, you know, if this is if if it's a style he has consistently. Yeah. Um, it's, it's... All right. The debate will doubtless continue for many decades to come. But on a closing note, it does not seem inappropriate to get the opinion of that well-known moral and political theorist Adolf Hitler. Uh, surely a man with something worthwhile to say on the subject, who, looking ahead in a 1932 speech explicitly located his Lebensraum project within the long trajectory of European racial conquest. I was talking to you uh, recently about uh, Lebensraum, uh, the idea of like uh, needing space for your people. I can't yeah. remember in what context we were talking we about. Were, it, but I couldn't. Re- I remember some of it. We were discussing some Fuentes hot takes or um, okay, kind of rela- related to people who push ethno states while pretending they're not racist. Okay. All right. Yeah. So Nick Fuentes isn't racist. He just likes Laban's realm. Right. Yeah. 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 Totally. Totally. Yeah. That's what's going on. As he explained. Um, okay. Hold on. Let me just say, yeah. Nick Fuentes is, is uh, not racist. He just likes, uh, needs uh space for his people the same way. He's not gay. He just likes cat boys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Very complicated, um, man. Yeah, exactly. As he explained to his presumably attentive audience, you could not understand the economically privileged supremacy of the white race over the rest of the world, except by relating it to a political concept of supremacy, which has been particular to the white race as a natural phenomenon for many centuries and which it has upheld as such to the outer world. Take, for example, India. England did not acquire India in a... Oh, and this is all Hitler talking, obviously. Okay. Take, for example, India. Uh, England did not acquire India in a lawful and legitimate manner, but rather without regard to the natives' uh, wishes, views, or declarations of rights. Just as Cortez or Pizarro demanded for themselves Central America and the northern states of South America, not on the basis of any legal claim, but from the absolute inborn feeling of supremacy of the white race. The settlement of the North American continent was similarly a consequence not of any higher claim in a democratic or international sense, but rather of a consciousness of what is right, which had its sole roots in the conviction of superiority and thus the right of the white race. So his plan was just to uphold this inspiring Western tradition, this racial right to dominate. I'm not going to say, you want to say the fucking German shit? Herrenrecht. Herrenrecht. What's crazy is I feel like that paragraph you just read could have just been a fucking Prager U video. 
<laughs> Almost, yeah. Jesus Christ. Those radical abolitionists. <laughs> right, Jesus. yeah, yeah, seriously. This frame of mind, which has uh, conquered the world for the white race since from this political view, there evolved the the basis for the economic over or takeover of the rest of the world. In other words, he saw himself as simply doing at home uh, what his fellow Europeans had long been doing abroad. Finally, the theory of the racial contract by separating whiteness as phenotypical slash racial classifications from whiteness as a politico-economic system committed to white supremacy opens a theoretical space for white repudiation of the contract. One could then distinguish being white from being in, in uh, with a capital W, white. And we've talked about that before. That's super important. It's like the signatories versus the non-signatories, uh, the people that embrace, uh, consciously embrace the shit uh, and perpetuate it versus the, the people that just benefit from it unknowingly. Um, there, is, there is an interesting point of contrast here with the social contract, an obvious early objection to the notion of society's being based on a, quote, contract, was that even if an original founding contract had existed, it wouldn't bind later generations who hadn't signed it. There have been various attempts by contractarians to get around this problem, the best known being Locke's notion of the tacit consent. The idea is that if you choose as an adult to stay in your country of birth and make use of its benefits, then you have tacitly consented to obeying the government and thus to and thus to be bound by the contract. But David Hume is famously scathing about this claim, saying that the notion of tacit consent, consent is vacuous where there is no real possibility of opting out by moving to a no longer ex existent state of nature or of being able to immigrate when you have no particular skills and no other language but your mother tongue. You stay because you have no real choice. It's just a tangent and uh, a little bit of me being a dick. But one of my uh, favorite things about Trump losing is all of his supporters talking about leaving the country. Now, when liberals or Democrats or whatever do this and say, fuck it, if Trump wins, I'm going to leave the country. They can say that because there are countries that more fit their ideals, you know, like Germany, Canada, Switzerland, what I've loved, like Jordan Klepper, that Daily Show dude has clapped a few people on this. He's like, where are you going to go? Like every better country is that way because of socialism. So if you're trying to like run away from socialism, are you like limited to like African countries still ravaged by colonialism? Or, or what you consider socialism yeah, like some of them said like costa rica and shit it's like nah dude that is a fully socialized country in your eyes socialized healthcare. Yeah. so like it's just like yeah i just i love that concept that it has now at least reached a point in society where our country might be fucked but everywhere else like is proving that they they could go to like maybe turkey turkey or Hungary. yeah yeah that's true russia yeah russia yeah mm -hmm. yep so yeah Places that two uh, years ago, every Republican would have shit on. 
just, I just right <laughs> totally <laughs> and now they're like oh well why why would we be mean to russia okay i'm sorry no no it's so true okay so uh i don't even know where i'm at oh but for the racial contract it is different there is a real choice for whites though admittedly a difficult one the rejection of the racial contract and the normed in inequities of the white polity does not require one to leave the country but to speak out and struggle against the terms of the contract so in this case moral slash political judgments about one's consent in quotes to the legitimacy of the political system and conclusions about one's effectively uh one's effectively having become a signatory to the contract are apropos and so are judgments of one's culpability by unquestioningly going along with things by accepting all the privileges of whiteness with uh con commit what is that con com i've never seen that word before in my life but i'm guessing concomitant okay what, is, what does that mean you know uh in this podcast i've learned that i am horrible at guessing what words mean it used to be something that i had convinced myself i had like a talent at Okay. But generally, it's because I would just pick, that's for sure what that word means, and move on. Yep. I've had that shattered every time. I'm like, oh my god, that was not even fucking close. <laughs> naturally accompanying or associated, and or a phenomenon that naturally accompanies something. Okay, okay. All right, so... uh uh With uh, non-commitment complicity in the system of white supremacy, one can be said to have consented to capital W whiteness. And in fact, there have always been praiseworthy whites, anti-colonialists, abolitionists, opponents of imperialism, civil rights, activists, uh, resistors of apartheid, who have recognized the existence and immorality of capital W whiteness as a political system, challenged its legitimacy and insofar as possible refuse the contract inasmuch as mere skin color will automatically continue to privilege them of course this identification with the oppressed can usually be only partial thus the interesting moral slash political phenomenon of the white renegade the race trader in the language of the clan accurate enough insofar as race here denotes whiteness uh the colonial explorer who goes native the soldier in french indochina who contracts le, uh, le mal jeune or something uh the yellow disorder the perilous illness of attachment to indochina's landscape people and culture the nigger, Indian, or Jew lover, these individuals betray the white polity in the, in the name of a broader definition of the polis. Treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity. Uh, I like that a lot. Treason to whiteness is loyalty to humanity. Uh, tad idea. No, I'm just kidding. Sorry. That's actually, no, that's what I said tat idea, but that was a terrible thing because that's a really powerful, <laughs> actually powerful sentence. Thus becoming renegades from the states, traitors to their country and to civilization. A white engine, and there's nothing more despicable. For 
as the term signifies where morality has been racialized, the practice of genuinely colorblind ethic requires the repudiation of one's Herrenvolk standing and is accompanying moral epistemology, thus eliciting the appropriate moral condemnation from the race loyalists and white signatories who have not repudiated either. You're up, Paul. Holy shit. This section is should uh, truly just be required reading for like entrance into any society. The level of commitment and sacrifice will, of course, vary. Some have written exposés of the hidden truth of the racial contract. Las Casas, Devastation of the Indies, Abolitionist Literature, the French writer uh, Abby Reynolds' Call for Black Slave Revolution, Mark Twain's writings for the Anti-Imperialist League, usually suppressed as an embarrassment by his biographers, his Chomsky notes. Yeah, I'm not aware of that. God damn it. Will you say his name? Sartre. Sartre. Okay. Sartre and Simone de Beauvoir's principled oppositional journalism against their country's colonial war. Some have tried to save some of its victims. The Underground Railroad, Aborigines Protection Societies, Oscar Schindler's Jewish Charges, Don McLeod, the Australian white man, uh, accepted as an honorary Aborigine. I would really actually like to expand my like knowledge of the Australian Aboriginal stuff. Like, I have, like, a yeah, general idea based on how colonials, like, colonialists just treated everybody. But yeah. I feel like that one is probably uniquely terrible. Well, no, they're all terrible. Whatever. Uh, who helped organize the first aboriginal strike in the Pilbara in 1946. Hugh Thompson, the American helicopter pilot who threatened to fire on his fellow soldiers unless they stopped massacring Viet- Vietnamese civilians at My Lai. Some may have actually thank you. Uh, some may have actually given their lives for the struggle. The white American anti-slavery revolutionary John Brown, badass, the white members of the African National Congress who died trying to abolish apartheid. But the mere fact of their existence shows what was possible, throwing into contract, contrast and rendering open for moral judgment the behavior of their fellow whites who chose to accept capital W whiteness instead. Boom. Just to clarify for our listeners, when I uh, come down with the correct pronunciation, it's only because I've listened to a lot of stuff, and that's why I know how to pronounce stuff. It's funny because someone like like Destiny, uh, he'll he'll have problems pronouncing words that I know how to pronounce, but that's only because I've only heard those words, and he's only read those words. There are yeah, there are. I never ever fault anybody for pronunciation because of that, like. Uh, yeah. also because it's a huge fault I have so why would I fault somebody for shit I do but uh, <laughs> but um, like yeah like there are so many words that I've only read and then sometimes yeah. don't even realize that I've only read them until judgment day comes when I now have to say them out loud yeah and it's like to the point like some of these words I know the definitions of for sure have seen them multiple times but they just aren't like common vernacular shit um, yeah, yeah. No. Totally, yeah. totally. And plus, uh, you also have a very impressive vocabulary. Oh, Your pronunciation well, you. is way more on point than mine, uh, especially with like words I've just never even encountered or heard of. I'm just like, whoa. And you're like, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, and, and but keep in mind, also, like with this book, I've listened to this book, right? Uh, so I've heard these words pronounced before. You right. Know? But anyhow, um, so next time uh, we'll be starting the next section, which is the racial contract has always been recognized by non-whites as the real determinant of most 
white moral slash political practice and thus as the real moral slash political agreement to be challenged. Truly looking forward to it. Absolutely. Thanks for listening and have a great day. I um, want to come out and say uh, that I do not support George Floyd and the media depiction of him as a martyr for Black America. I'm going to explain why, and I hope that some of you guys will understand where I'm coming from. Shelby Steele said that the Black community is unique from other communities. Um, our, our culture is unique from other communities um, because we are the only community that caters to the bottom denominator of our society. Now, let me explain what that means. Um, it means to say that not every Black American is a criminal, not every Black American is committing crimes, but we are unique in that we are the only people that fight and scream and demand support and justice for the people in our community that are up to no good. You would be hard pressed to find um, you know, a Jewish person who has spent five stints in prison, uh, who commits a crime and dies while committing a crime, and that the Jewish people champion and demand justice for. 